And that brings me to this morning. I remember the story of uh, Henrietta the Hen and Patty the Pig. You ever heard the fable of Henrietta Hen and Patty the Pig? Henrietta Hen and Patty the Pig, they were kind of walking along the road one day together. And they saw a stranger. And the stranger was hungry. And so Henrietta the Hen looked at Patty the Pig and said, and Henrietta the Hen was a very benevolent-minded hen, mind you, said, we need to provide a meal for this stranger. Patty the Pig squealingly said, for you, that's a small sacrifice. But for me, that's a total commitment. Commitment requires me. And what I want to talk to you about this morning, not only the young people, but all of us as well. I want to talk just a few moments about this idea, this concept of commitment. It does begin with M-E. It does begin with me. Whenever Paul would write something like he does in Romans chapter 12 in the first couple of verses, and he talks about how that we are to offer up our spiritual sacrifices, using our body to offer up our spiritual sacrifices. Those spiritual sacrifices are offered on the altar of me. We succeed or we fail based upon the earnestness and the seriousness of our commitment. It would be nice in life if there was just one straight climb without any bumps along the way. But as you well know, that is not life. Life is much more like this along the way. And it's easy to have commitment when it's like this. It's hard to have commitment when it's like this, or even lower. That's when commitment is really tested. That's when offering sacrifices upon the altar are really tested because that's when the commitment that requires us personally is demonstrated the greatest. Anybody can live on the mountaintop. It takes commitment to slog through the valleys, to be able to have the ability to climb the mountain again and be on the mountaintop until the next dip comes. So the few things I want to share with you this morning about this idea of commitment. When I think about commitment, first of all, I want to think about a commitment to authority. That may be, may be an oversimplification to you, but this is what I mean by that. You remember the story of the, of, of the Lord who, the centurion, had this servant. And the centurion's servant was, was sick, and the centurion cared about his servant. And so he sent a message to, to the Lord to come, to come to his house to heal the servant. But then the centurion said, Lord, just say a word. Just say a word. You don't have to come to my house. Just say a word. That centurion understood something about the place of authority. And he said this, I'm a man also in a position of authority. I understand what I speak. Those under me also are expected to, to respond to what I say as well. He understood the place of authority in a person's relationship or in a person's life. Remember, remember the story of the two sons 
One said, I would go, and then did not. The other said, I will not, and then he went. The second one understood the place of authority in his life. I don't care what you do. I don't care where you go. You're going to face, you're going to face the need to have a respect for authority. But ultimately, there needs to be that ultimate respect for the place of God in your life and the will of God, the word of God in your life as well. We need to learn also, when we think about this idea of commitment, we need to also learn to be a disciple. The response of authority is to be a disciple, and a disciple is a learner. That's simply what a disciple is. It's someone who learns and someone who follows. You've made a commitment in your life so far. You've made a commitment in your life that you're going to submit to the authority of the Lord. He's going to be your Lord. He's going to be your master. He is the one, the only one, the one alone that has the right to tell you what to do in your life. He is the one who has the character. He is the one who has the gravitas. He is sovereign. He has the right to tell us what to do in life. But a response to that is, we are going to be learners. Learners of the Lord to do what is right. I'll come back to that in just a moment. But let me say this just a moment. It's not only to learn to obey his commands. Not all of what God has said, however, is expressed in commands. Sometimes we just need to learn what to do that's right to do the will of God. The idea of will of God is not about statutes. It's not about law. It's the fact that I know God, and because I know God, I know what pleases God. I'm going to please Him. I'm going to know what His will is. And knowing what His will is, I'm then therefore going to do what is right. Now let me tie those three together real quickly. A response to authority is to be a learner. You've made that decision. You made the decision, you are going to be a disciple. You determine you're going to be a learner. That means that you learn not just the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, the do's and the don'ts. If the book were to comprise the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, the do's and the don'ts, not, we would not be able to carry the book. It would be too big. And by the way, those do's and don'ts were pretty explicit in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant as well. And that didn't work so well for Israel either, did it? Because the problem was not the do's and the don'ts and thou shalt the thou, thou shalt nots. The problem's in the heart of people. The thing that makes Apollos stand out among all that are, that are written about, the thing that makes Apollos stand out is, is that when Aquila and Priscilla came to him, here's a young man that is mighty in Scripture, it is said, and he's eloquent, but he did not understand something about the baptism of Jesus. He knew only the baptism of John. And so Aquila and Priscilla come to him and they sit down and they talk to him. And because he was a learner, because he was a learner, he wanted to be a disciple of the Lord. He listened to what they said. To learn, we must be willing to listen. Listen to those who are in a position of authority. Listen to those who have your best interest at heart when you leave home. Learn by listening. But learn by listening so you know what to do is right. And knowing what to do is right 
is to know something about what the will of God is. Jesus said this way, I do all things, always, that please the Father. He said, not my will, but thine be done. He didn't say, okay, I've got to meet a demand. I've got to obey a command. No, he said, I have come to do the will of the Father. I've not come to obey a command, though he did. I've not come to meet a demand, though he did. I've come to do is something greater than that, something that has a greater expectation. I've come to do the will of the Father. I've come to do the will of God. It may be you have a question in your life. It may be that all of us have a question in your life. Is this right or is this wrong? There's a question about it. Is it gray? Is it bright? Is it dark? There's something question here. I can't find the passage. I can't find the passage that delineates that as being absolutely right or absolutely wrong. But here's the deal. Do I know the will of God? Do I know God and knowing God, knowing what pleases God, I do the will of God? I love how Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9. He said, whether present or absent in the body, we do all things, listen, all things that please the Lord. If I don't know the command, if I don't know the statute, am I blind? Am I at a deficit? Not if I know the will of God. Not if I know, here's what he said. It is not God's will that any man be lost. He does not will that any man be lost. Is there a command about that? No, it's not his will that he be lost. If it's not his will that he be lost, then what's his will? We know his will is that all be saved. And how many would take for that to take place? Jordan said it. One. You know, Abraham quit asking before God quit giving. Abraham quit at 10. I've always wondered why he quit at 10. Were there not 10 righteous souls in Sodom and Gomorrah? Do you know that? How many would it have taken to save Sodom and Gomorrah? One. One man... One righteous man for the nation. But evidently, the only righteous people God took out of the city because there was no one righteous in the city to save it. Was there something about Sodom and Gomorrah that they struggled with, they didn't know the will of God? Or was there something they determined to do in spite of the will of God? Yes, we have commands. Yes, we have statutes. Yes, there's law. But not everything is answered that way. The Lord also speaks to us in concepts and principles. And what he wants us to know is, you can know and you can do what is right when you know my will. You young people who are leaving home and that are staying, you have been shown by your parents, you have been taught by them, you've had it demonstrated in this church family, and you have had it drilled into your head from your youngest age in Bible class here, the need to know the will of God and have this fundamental principle in your life to do what is right. And that brings up one more thing that we need a commitment to. We need a commitment to the repentance that we made. Repentance is, is that anchor point that is set that is never pulled up. Repentance is that place where that old man is crucified. That old man in intents and purpose is put to death. We at one time said in the face of all that God offered us, I will not. And said, I will to Satan. 
But somewhere along the way, the law made active our conscience, as Paul will use that language in Romans chapter 7. And our conscience became pricked because we, we, know, we know now we have violated God, we have displeased God, we're not doing His will, and we are brokenhearted about that. Joseph said it this way, how can I do this thing and sin against God? Joseph said, I'm not going to change my mind about serving God. And at some point we said no to God and yes to Satan. And now, the reality of sin, the reality of judgment, the reality of guilt, the reality of shame, the reality of eternity has slapped us in the face. And we have said, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm going to change my mind about this and I'm setting it. I'm setting it in concrete. I'm setting that anchor, and I'm not going to pull that anchor up. Now, the truth is, we'll find ourselves away from that again. But we always go back to that point. We never repent of having repented. We never pull up that anchor, that time and our place in our lives in which we said, I'm through with sin. I'm going to say yes to God. But in those moments when now we find ourselves away... We come back to that anchor. And here's how John says it. If we walk in the light, as he's in the light, the blood of Christ cleanses us of our sins. His blood had the initial cleansing that we experienced in baptism. But his blood also has a continual cleansing as we continue to confess, as we continue to repent and come back to walk in the light. Walking in the light, we may take a misstep in darkness. But we step back into the light and we continue to walk in the light. We don't walk in darkness. You see, there's a habit. There's a pattern that's here. The habit of my life is going to be this. I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay with the determination I made. I'm going to please God and do right in all things. When you think about doing the will of God and doing what is right in this anchor point, I don't care what the situation is, and this is true for all of us, not just for our young people here. I don't care what the situation is. It's true for me. Regardless of what the situation is, there is a way that is right, unarguably right, unquestionably right, and we know that it is not wrong. You may face a question, young people going off to college, even if you're staying here, you may face a question sometimes. Is this right or is it wrong? I have a question there. Is it right or is it wrong? There is a way that's right, unquestionably right, no argument where it's right. It's right and is not wrong. That's where you start and that's where you put your feet. And you don't move from where right is until you know the ground you're moving to is right. And when you find the ground you're moving to is right, then you know that's what is right. It may be you have a question about something, but you stay with what is right. And maybe you change your mind about something as you go and grow in your life. And then you know you can step into what is right. But you start right and you stay right and you don't move from right because you have determined you're going to be a disciple and you have submitted to the authority of God. You have said, you're my Lord. You call the shots. You lead me. I'll listen. I'll learn to you. I'll do what is right. I'll follow your will, and I will set myself with determination. I'm always, always going to try to please you. If you do that, and if we do that, then we won't have to worry about the ground we're moving to being wrong. Maybe you've heard the story 
of the young man that was across the house. And he called his mother and said, Mom, is this shirt dirty? And she yelled back, yes. Later they came together in the same room. He said, Mom, how'd you know that shirt was dirty? She said, if you had to ask, it was dirty. Well, if we're arguing about ourselves about doing it, there's, no, there's a question about it. If there's a question about it, I'm going to do the will of God. Because I'm going to please Him always in all things. I'm going to do what is right. And I'm not going to stop doing what is right. Now let me say this. As a codicil of that. That is easy to say standing here. And relatively easy to listen to sitting there. Young people, you, you have been in your mother, under your mother and father's care from the time of your birth until now. Staying here or going off, you have been under the care and the guidance and control of your mother and father. They've tried to give some of that to you along the way so you can understand the importance of responsibility in your life. But you're now about to take a step in the direction of your life you have never experienced before. I'm not a pessimist in this. I'm a realist in this. The world is an ugly place. And it does not matter where you go to school. It does not matter what the name of that school is. It does not matter the state in which that school is. Evil will be present. And there will be those who are disciples of evil. It may come masked with a little sugar and sweetness on it. But there are those who are there who are learners of evil and they're going to do their dead level best to make it hard for you and to try to seduce you to do what is wrong. That's when, that's when you must reflect upon what you have been taught in your home by your parents and what you've had demonstrated by your parents. But moreover, what you must have in your conscience that must be guiding you in your conscience is how can I break the heart of God? How can I do that? And this is not a pretty sight, and it's not a pretty story. I understand that. It's a story filled with deep regret. When I left home to go to East Texas State University, I did not care. I just did not care. I kept the facade up for a while, going to church, and then stopped.
there was a young lady. And there was a grandfather. In different ways. That made me care. I was milking cows in East Texas State University Dairy. And my older sister called and said, if you want to talk to granddad, you need to get to Dallas. He's not going to live through the night. You must understand, my granddad was my hero. I loved my granddad so much. I got to Wadley Blood Bank Hospital at 11 o'clock Monday night. I walked into his room. And you had to wear a mask, you had to wear a gown. And I said, Granddad, this is Glenn. And he mumbled something. I said, I'm sorry, Granddad. I didn't understand you. He mumbled again. And maybe this isn't what he said. But I can hear today, he passed away in 1980. I can hear the words today just as clearly as I thought I heard them that day. He said again, amen. I thought my granddad is dying and he's praying and I'm living the life of a wretch. How can this righteous man be dying and me live this way? And then I was engaged to a girl who has a heart and has always had a heart to do what is right. Breaking the heart of God to her is the most painful thing that would ever happen. And she had every reason to not be involved with me. Because there was nothing that was redeemable there of any spiritual value. Because I wasn't worried about the will of God. I wasn't about, worried about his authority. I wasn't worried about doing what is right. I was going to do what I wanted to do. But she didn't quit on me. And she helped turn my life around. And I'm doing what I'm doing and largely responsible for who I am because of her today. And that's why her kids and her grandkids are who they are today. You see... She was my Esther. She's the one that God put in my life to say, who know but such a time as this, I've sent you this young man to save his soul. So if you do follow that treacherous, wretched path, I pray to God, you meet someone or you experience something in your life that shakes you to your foundation, and calls you home. Because that kind of life is a dead end. But here's the thing. You don't have to make those choices. I love the analogy Jordan gave in the first part of his lesson. Your beauty is not found in your handsomeness. Your, your beauty as a young woman, a young man. Your beauty is found in the fact you're a child of God. The blood of Christ courses through your veins... The blood of Christ has cleansed your soul. And the will of God is your guiding light and your north star. That's what makes you valuable. And Jordan's point was right on. 
Your value is not because of how you appear here. Your value is because of what you have in your heart. And every one of you have great hearts. I know. I've seen them. I've experienced them. And so let me give finally, just real quickly, three things that I hope will help cement this. Number one, fill your heart with good things. The psalmist said, I have hidden your word in my heart. If we're going to think on good things, just things, lovely things, honorable things, then we're going to have to fill our heart with good things. And that means we're going to have to listen and learn from the word of God. I have hidden your word in my heart. The way to keep our heart secure is our hearts have to be filled with the word of God. Second of all, I want you to, to learn to know God, to love him, and to be taught by him. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And here's the deal. You get to choose that. Your first morning after your mom and dad leave you at school or your first morning when you're on, on your own to get up to school, that alarm clock's going to go off. You get to choose whether you get up or not. You get to choose that. That's the beginning of your day. But learn. Every day I'm going to get up and I'm going to love God. I'm going to have him in my heart. He's going to guide me. He's going to lead me. I'm going to learn something from and about him today. And then, learn to love those who God loves. Learn to love those who God loves. In 1 John chapter 3, he would talk about, if you have the heart of hate, you have the heart of a murderer. But also he will say in 1 John, if you have the heart of love, you have the heart of God. Loving people sometimes is a challenge. How in the world? How in the world does God love us so much? Loving people sometimes is a challenge. And you're going to find challenges with people because they're going to disappoint you. I may disappoint you. Those who you know and with whom you have confidence may disappoint you. But that doesn't change your love for them. That doesn't change your admiration for them. It doesn't change the fact they have a soul that you highly value. And they have something still to offer you. Though they may have disappointed you, you still love them. You also not only get to choose what you do, you get to choose who you love. Nobody can make you hate them. Nobody can make you despise them. Nobody can make you belittle them. We get to choose. We get to choose who we love and how we love them. But the best way you can be assisted in that is find a group of people, a congregation of people that you can find yourself with, anchor yourself, that will surround you with the love that we have for you here. For some of you, this is the only congregation you have ever known. I am an apologist for the Campbell Road Church of Christ. I love her because I love her people and I love her Lord. But there's some good churches in this land. You find one. And you find people who will help you. And who will embrace you. And he'll be a mother and a father afar, a grandmother or grandfather afar, with whom you can go to in those moments that you need strength from somebody. This is a marvelous time in your life. Great opportunities are before you. 
You're going to form habits that are going to, that are going to impact you the rest of your life. We kind of flippantly say, well, he or she is just sowing their wild oats. Sowing the seeds of wild oats has never produced anything but a crop of weeds. And that means you're always going to have weeds you're going to have to pull if that's always sown or wild oats. You're going to form habits because of choices that you make. And yes, you're going to have missteps. You're going to make mistakes. It's a given. You're going to make mistakes. There are times you're going to fail. That doesn't mean you're worthless. It doesn't mean you've lost your value. It just simply means you made a mistake. But here's the deal. The grace of God can forgive you and can redeem you. That's wonderful. And people that love you will also, will also embrace you and hold you up and say, we want to help you overcome that. You can make good choices too. And for those entering our senior year, I didn't call you out by name. There are many. For those entering your senior year, I know after the second day of school, if you've not already started, I know after the second day of school, you'll be done with your senior year. You are done. You are ready to be out. I remember, and I've seen it in my grandkids. You have to deal with senior year. The second day they're done. You're done. You're out. Give me, get, let me go. But you got that senior year. Enjoy it. Because it'll be the last year, if you leave home, it'll be the last year at home. And if you stay, it'll still be the last year at home. You don't have to worry about calling the shots and making your mind up. Because you'll always have in the background while you're there, your mom and dad. Nobody loves you more than God. And nobody loves you more than your mother and father. And nobody loves you more than the people in this church. So my young brothers and sisters, go conquer the world. Be a conqueror for the Lord. And show somebody, show somebody that needs to see Jesus in you. Maybe you will be their Esther. Maybe you will be that person that can be God in their life, that can either lead them to or save their soul. This is for all of us, however. This is not just for them. There's something in that for every one of us that we can take, we can chew on, we can digest and we can grow with. Let's be a people who are committed to the authority of God to be his disciple, to always learn about him, to learn his will, to do what is right, and never pull up that anchor point of what we said we're going to do when we said we would come to the Lord. God bless you. If we can help you this morning in some way, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing? Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.